music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. I am Fred, your normal co-host, but today, your solo host, there is no Tyler. He's off to Arizona. He's doing some, uh, some vacationing, I do believe. Uh, and Rich has a much better last name for this kind of gimmick. Uh, I don't know. Fornis doesn't really work well with that. Guys... Leaves me and then doesn't even give me a good name to pun off of. It's terrible. But I'll be going solo. It's uh, March 16th, 2023. And uh, we got quite a bit of AEW news to talk about. Some of it's sad, some of it good. Um, so uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Because I don't have anything interesting to say about myself at all. Like, ever. Uh, so the biggest news coming out this past week is the report from Andrew Zarian of Matt Men that AEW and Warner Brothers Discovery, they're nearing an agreement on a third wrestling show, which would be in addition to All Access, their fourth show now, assuming this deal goes through, uh, the reality show. Um, possibly, that's Saturday night at 6.05pm, stealing at Billy's gimmick of uh, remembering the 90s and the 80s. Uh, hopefully this doesn't mean Tyrus is AW uh, bound. If we ever see a Tyrus All Elite graphic, I may be out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this should pretty obviously put to bed any concerns about AW's uh, value or standing, I guess I should say, within with Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, obviously they're in a good position, uh, if they're getting yet another television show, um, looks like that that would be probably an hour-long show, so four hours of in-ring, plus, uh, the reality show, if they keep that around long-term, or not, uh, forget Slap Fight, absolutely, or Power Slap, sorry, should have been called Slap Fight the Cowards, uh, just a really stupid, terrible show that I have no interest in whatsoever. And I'm glad it's gone. It's going to that crappy Rumble service, like, 7th tier streaming. Cool. Good for them. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of good news for AEW right now. And I can't imagine trying to spin this into something bad. Are there concerns about um, overexposure? Not really. I mean, I think a big question that'll be interesting to see the answer to as the Hungry Cat comes in is if they will be, um, how they'll be treating this, if it'll be treated like they do, uh, you know, uh, like they do Rampage, where it's just kind of there. Um, a B show without a calling, being called a B show. Um, except for, uh, promos by Jack Perry, I guess, possibly. We'll get to that in a bit. Or if uh, it'll be even lower on the totem pole than that. I don't think it'll be a Ring of Honor show. Um, pretty sure that would have come out already in terms of uh, the discussion that's been going on around about it. So, uh, but very good times for AEW, business-wise. I think that uh, they're doing just fine, really. Even if Rampage's ratings have fallen, I think they're kind of at an impossible high long-term when you... Uh, 
debut a show and have CM Punk on it, uh, returning CM Punk on it like weekly, I don't think you're really going to be able to maintain that level of viewership. Should they be happy with their viewership? Well, we'll go ahead and get into that part of the news. That's a segue, baby. Um, last week on Rampage, the March 10th edition had a viewership of 447,000 viewers overall and a 0.15 in the 18 to 49 demo. The uh, overall viewership was the highest uh, in two months, or at least going back to January, and the um, demo was the best since December, so pretty good. Are those great numbers? No, I wouldn't say that, but I think that they're good enough numbers. And sometimes good enough is just good enough. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's all perfectly acceptable, man. Um, I think that's about where they live. They probably would love to get it closer to sitting at half a mil, but I, honestly, I don't really have particularly higher goals for a Friday night 10 p.m. show. I think the booking on it's been better than it was late last year when we were really complaining about it, when I was really complaining about it. And I was complaining about it. Uh, but I just finished watching last week's, last Friday's Rampage, this Rampage we're talking about right now, uh, just before I sat down to record this. And uh, look, if that's what your Rampage is going to be like every week, okay. I mean, again, to me, we'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that was very much a 6 out of 10 kind of show, which is not bad. But like a, a easier 6 out of 10 than some of the others that I've seen from them. Um, other news in the AEW realm, uh, probably I'll go ahead and get the saddest news here. Uh, Arn Anderson's son, Barrett, uh, who was 37, I don't believe ever had any real entrance into professional wrestling, uh, passed away. I believe it was last week at the age of 37, just far too young, terrible. Um, I you just have to absolutely hate to see it. Um... So thoughts and prayers and all that good stuff with the entire Anderson family. Um, just awful news and, um, you know, can't say enough uh, nice stuff for them. Hope they're all doing as well as they can at this time. Uh, Forbidden Door 2 has been announced. That'll be in Toronto. Going international with it. On June 25th, that's uh, virtually the same date as Forbidden Door last year. Tight grouping. Um, I'm going to look up the exact date of that because I don't recall offhand. Was it the 23rd? 26th. So just same weekend practically. Uh, that should be an awesome show. Um, of course, one would expect, given how last year's went. Um, fingers crossed that they'll be able to repeat that. I mean, considering what they were able to do in spite of all those injuries going on at the time. Pretty damn impressive. Uh, GCW is opposing the trademark for Fight Forever, the title of AEW's video game that they have coming out ostensibly this year. Will it happen? Uh, I don't know. Maybe... I'm sure I am the first person to ever make the develop forever joke. Thank you. Copyright me. Uh, trademark me. I will now fight anyone for that trademark. Um, GCW in January 2021 hosted a 24-hour charity show under the name Fight Forever, which honestly I had completely forgotten about, but that was a pretty cool idea. And if nothing else, you know, that's cool. I don't know. I, I kind of... Didn't really have anywhere to go with the second half of that sentence. Uh, but hopefully, if they do make a deal with this, if they you know make it all work out, that they'll uh, the real beneficiary here will be charity. Um, hopefully, it'll be kind to them. Fingers crossed on that. But they are working on a settlement deal. I don't particularly expect this to affect the release of the game. Um, and so far as you know. The release of the game has already been affected, I guess. <laughs> It'll come out someday, I guess. Um, next up, Sarah Stock, also known as Sarita, has been signed by AEW as a coach. There you go. I have no thoughts. I just don't think I ever... I don't think I was actually watching her during her the main part of her career. Um... 
And uh, so I don't have any real thoughts on her skills or anything. She definitely was able to get around a lot, uh, to primarily in TNA and uh, uh, CMLL. And having a 15-year career in those companies is pretty good. And she was with WWE for about five years as a trainer before uh, they just had to make those COVID cuts. And uh, as far as I can tell, this is basically our big return to pro wrestling. So uh, good for her. Uh, hopefully she'll be able to make a positive impact on the company. And uh, even with my ignorance on her career, I uh, like her a lot better than the other big signing that AEW announced, which I will also be discussing shortly. Look at all these teasers I'm just effortlessly dropping. Are they teasers and my inability to stay on subject? That's for you to decide. Chuck Taylor was not able to bail out Orange Cassidy in his match on Dynamite because he was having emergency dental surgery. And he posted on Twitter a photo of his mouth all jacked up. Uh, look heinous. Uh, hopefully he is doing well now. Um, just not good stuff. Um, yeah, uh, scientifically speaking, I would have to refer to his teeth as, uh, kind of screwed up. Hopefully he is off and, uh, healing and feeling better very soon. No JR on Rampage this week. He's been having uh, issues with his ankle, apparently. he's uh, On his podcast, he uh, referred to that. That was where he had, uh, I think it was radiation therapy uh, related to a cancerous lesion that he had removed um, a while back, if you remember that. And he's just taken this week off and, uh, you know, putting aside my feelings on how JR is an announcer in 2023, man, get that rest, get feeling better. Uh, because, you know... JR uh, deserves as much good health as he can get, and I hope he gets it. So hopefully he rests well, and hopefully he gets feeling better ASAP. And that has been the big wrap-up of news. Um, I don't think that there are Dynamite ratings out right now, and honestly, if there were, I don't know that I'd have any super hot takes on them. Nope. Nothing. So, uh... Oh, wow, I can't believe the ratings were 5 million viewers and a key demo of a zillion. Fantastic. AEW is out of the mud, finally. Um, no, absolutely nothing to say. Uh, no, no ratings, so no news on that front. And I did not care to look up last week's ratings, because why would I? Um, Alright, let's get on to the shows we're going to talk about. First of all, Rampage, which as I mentioned, I watched right before going... To record this, um, I thought this was a pretty solid show. Um, probably like a six and a half out of seven. I said six earlier. Kind of in between six and seven, so I'm going to lay it up a little bit. Uh, the opener was Action Andretti versus Sammy Guevara, and my god, they gave Andretti everything but the win in this one. Um, he just had control of this match for, like, you, you hear people talk about these matches where the guy that goes on to lose has control for the v majority of the match. This was, like, 98% of the match. Andretti got to show out the entire time, and uh, it helps him that Guevara is a damn good seller. Uh, but Andre Action Andretti had a, a bunch of really cool spots. Uh, I mean, did the split-legged moonsault, he did... Uh, Running Shooting Stars Press, which Guevara got his knees up for. A springboard 450. I mean, all kinds of high-flying stuff. A flying splash on Guevara through a table. Um, and then Daniel Garcia came down right at the end. Shoved Andretti off the top rope. And that let Sammy Guevara get the go to hell. And uh, the win. And, uh, I mean, this was, uh, this was a good match. Not a great match. Um, I think these two could have a great match if they were given a little more time. A little more freedom to do so. But I thought this was damn good. I liked uh, I liked Andretti's performance here. I thought he looked very good as a high flyer. Uh, there were one or two spots that weren't exactly the crispest thing I've ever seen. But I can't even say there was like a botch in this that I recall. Um, and Guevara just did a great job as the guy taking the offense. Uh, good selling. Good match. Three and three quarters for me. Not quite notebook, but uh, let's put it right below that level. Uh, definitely enjoyable watch. Next up, we had uh, pre-tapes from Darby Allen and Jack Perry, where they both talked about becoming world champions in the future. And uh, that is 
what we call foreshadowing in the business. Then there is a little Hobbs and QT Marshall promo backstage where they celebrated their championship win and then teased the debut of QTV by showing who broke into Wardlow's car. Next up, they had the acclaimed squash Jack Cartwheel and Starboy Charlie. Just an absolute squash. Nothing of note in this. Three and a, three quarter stars. Uh, that's three quarter stars, not three and three quarters. Uh, trust me, it was not that good. Uh, then they did a little thing afterwards where Menard and Parker came out and waved a Jericho Appreciation shirt, uh, Society shirt around, and that was it. Then there was a pre-tape for Jericho Garcia and Guevara that did a, with primarily Jericho talking putting over their match uh, on the coming Wednesday against the Elite and the Hounds of Black. Nice little promo. Next up was uh, Preston Vance against uh, Kanosuke Takeshita. And I gotta say, this was the... Uh, feel, I can't say bad, because this was a pretty good match, but it was the easily the worst Takeshita match I could think of in AEW. Uh, just a very solid, but not great match. Um... Honestly, the before commercial stretch was just nothing. I didn't even take a single note other than Vance had control early. Uh, coming back after the break, there are some cool spots. Uh, Soup uh, got to show out a little bit with uh, the Blue Thunder Bomb and a couple knees. Um, and he killed Jose, the assistant. And then there's a decent little uh, sequence of counters to some Vance power moves that led to... Uh, Takeshita roll-up for, or backslide, I should say, for three. Um, this was solid, but not great. Just a respectable match, right at three stars for me. Um, you'll get a lot better from Takeshita soon, I'm sure. Then there's a Swerve Strickland promo pre-tape where he says that both of his affiliates are on the, are on the shelf now because of Keith Lee. And maybe he underestimated him, but he's not done with them. Uh, look, Swerve Strickland is, uh, really is going to be as big of a star as they let him be, and they better let him be a damn big star. We get the announcement from Mark Briscoe uh, about how there's going to be a Reach for the Sky ladder match at Ring of Honor Supercard of Honor, and the Lucha Bros will be in it. Get a little video recapping the Hook and Stokely stuff, and then our main event was Nyla Rose versus Riho. Um, and these two do work very well together. This is, like, Riho is custom-made for Nyla Rose. These are the, honestly, it feels like the only good match I have seen from Nyla Rose in the past year has been this Riho one. And I'm saying that's, that as someone who loves Nyla Rose's, uh, at least her Twitter presence. Um, but she just seems to have uh, fallen off in the ring. And look, I'm not going to tell you that these are as good as the, the I think it was 2019 matches, um, very the very early Dynamite ones. Um, I actually loved those. I think I may have given the first one five stars because um, I thought Riho was just doing so well as a as a uh, underdog babyface in that, and Nyla Rose was doing very well as a monster. But this was a, a darn solid match, a darn good one even. Um, I liked this well enough. It was a l there were a couple spots where it wasn't great, but I think in general, um, with the crowd getting behind Riho as she uh, went on to try to keep winning the match, um, I think this was a three and a half star match, perfectly respectable. Um, and of course, it ended with Riho getting a cool little roll up out of the Nyla Bomb for three. And that gave her the win, but she was immediately killed by Marina Shafir and Nyla Rose. And the Outcast came out and spray painted an L on her. And that was the show. Um, nice thing about Rampage is it's always an easy watch, or almost always is. I'm going six and a half on this show, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, two, you know, like three well above average matches, uh, but not great matches. Yeah, just a solid show. No really notable promos at all in it, though. So, just the matches. Um, best match was Quivara and Andretti, I think. And if you have time, it's worth going out of your way to watch. Uh, I would, I'm not like putting it up there on a pedestal as like this will be talked about at the end of the year, but if you got 15 minutes and want to watch a good wrestling match, there you go. 
And now, this past Wednesday's, last night's, Dynamite. We got ourselves the MJF Rebar Mitzvah. And uh, this basically turned into a uh, opening segment from Raw that you've seen some version of uh, probably a zillion times as long as you watch that company. Uh, MJF, being a true heel, dissed Bret Hart and praised Shawn Michaels, which of course works into his whole uh, uh, War for 2024 thing that kind of pops up every now and then. And he says he's having the rebar mitzvah because he's now no longer a man, but after beating Brian Danielson in the 60-minute match, he's an Iron Man, which I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, they had some uh, local guys come down with a chair and danced around with him in it, uh, which was a nice spot. Uh, of course, that's obviously what happens at bar mitzvahs. Uh, at some point, MJF said, clap along or else you're anti-Semitic, which got a big laugh out of me. And then this is when we had Monday Night Raw start. Jack Perry's music comes out, or hits, and he comes out, and then he's going to say something, but it's Sammy Guevara's music, and he comes out. And then he's going to say something, but it's Darby Allen's music, and he comes out. And so they're all in the ring, standing in separate corners, and MGF standing there with a goofy hat on and sunglasses. MJF MJF asks them what they all want and all at once as one they say they want a title match and they all get to cut a little promo and frankly I think they all did a pretty good job in delivery um, uh, Perry talked about how uh, MJF doesn't work for it and brings up how MJF is never on a Rampage let alone Dark and Dark Elevation Sammy brings up how he was uh, when he was brought in it was to be the bump guy for Chris Jericho and how he was going to be the fall guy for the JAS. And then Darby Allen basically says he's AEW for life and he's sick of everyone whining online about their jobs, including MJF. Uh, and there was some backlash to the segment. Uh, Je um, Joe Lanza had his own uh, on the uh, behind the flagship paywall. And also uh, there is a clip of Dave Meltzer uh, complaining about how they are burying the company by uh, making it clear that Rampage is not as important as Dynamite. And um, I think Joe's big complaint was um, about how Sammy Guevara um, kind of danced a little too close to the kayfabe line by talking about how he was the fall guy, supposed to be the fall guy and bump guy. For JAS. Uh, and honestly, I find Joe's complaint more meaningful uh, than I do uh, Meltzer's. And my reasoning being, uh, I do think that Guevara was, was pretty much breaking kayfabe there. And uh, there's probably another way to phrase those lines and have them have the exact same meaning. Uh, and maybe he could have just referred to himself as the workhorse for the group or something along those lines. Um... But I, I, I agree with him that this was probably a little too cute. Just a little too, hey, you know, you know the show's a work, right? Just a little too much of that. Uh, meanwhile, Dave's complaint about uh, it burying Rampage. And also, he also complained about how it, you know, reminded everyone about some of the malcontents that have been complaining on Twitter. And, um... I don't know. I'm kind of more torn on Dave's complaints. Uh, when it comes to the Rampage one, you know, his thing was like, well, you would never complain about SmackDown like that because Fox wouldn't stand for it. But obviously, Rampage is in a different spot than SmackDown is when it comes to the hierarchy of those companies. And I just think that uh, it's pretty obvious that... I don't think anyone's fooled by what Rampage is at this point in time. I don't think anyone's looking at Rampage and saying to themselves, no, that's an A-show right there. And you can tell by the attendance when they do these uh, these packages in uh, you know the pay-per-view cities where you can buy 
discounted tickets for all three shows, but that includes Rampage and some of those don't sell as well. And the ticket sales for Rampage flag behind those of Dynamite and so forth. And it's just very obvious to me that uh, I don't think that's really a, a real complaint. That's just the facts. And the facts are that Rampage is not as big of a show as Dynamite. I don't think that's any kind of uh, real self-burial there. I think it's just an acknowledgement of what the situation is. Now, should Rampage be booked bigger with bigger matches on it? Probably. Yeah. But also, there's the counter-argument of, do you want those big matches to be going on at 10 p.m. on a Friday night with a viewership that's practically half of uh, Dynamite's? And I think that Tony Khan's come down, obviously he's come down on the side of, no, he would rather have those big matches happen on Dynamite in front of the biggest audience he has. And Rampage is just what it is. Rampage is basically a chance for exposure for lesser-used talents. Um, every once in a while you'll get a big star on there and a not particularly big match. You know, you'll have Moxley in a tag match that BCC is obviously going to win. You have stuff along those lines. And, um, I don't know. That just didn't really bother me that much. It actually just felt like the truth. And I don't think that it's going to do much damage to admit that Rampage is currently slotted as less than the top show, Dynamite. As for the other complaint about bringing up the people complaining about the company online... Um, in a bigger thing, I think that has more merit. You know, I don't know that I would have been particularly thrilled with the idea of Darby Allen going out there and outright bringing attention to the fact that people in AEW are unhappy and they're acting out on Twitter to express that with Miro and uh, Andrade and various others. And given all that, um, maybe it just would have been better if Darby just focused, you know, instead of talking about a bunch of people complaining about AEW and making it sound kind of shitty, maybe he should have just focused on MJF complaining about AEW and not wanting to be there and making a bigger deal out of that. I don't know. Uh, but I do think overall this was one of the better Darby Allen promos we've had, one of the better Jack Perry promos we've had. And uh, is a good promo already. So, I mean, he has been for quite a while. So I think this was uh, this was good. Uh, Guevara kind of fell into a trap and he was trying to be a baby face with uh, Ty Mello, which just didn't work at all because of the timing. And then, of course, MGF got to take little cheap shots at all three guys um, with the usual stuff, calling Darby an incel, bringing up Guevara, you know, probably dating someone else, which, of course, allowed Guevara to hit back with something about MJF's fiance leaving him, um, which is now a big part of the storyline with him, I guess. Um, MJF does drop a pretty interesting line about how he's never been, and, and I enjoyed the phrasing on this, AW's daddy daycare, you know, bringing up how they all have older mentors, at least at one point. You had Jack Perry... With Christian Cage, you had Darby Allen with Sting. We'll still do, except when Sting's not around like tonight. And Sammy Guevara with Chris Jericho. Uh, and I like that line quite a bit. And then there was a basically a brawl workout after MJF walked up to uh, Jack Perry, shoved him. Perry clubbered him in the back of the head with the mic, which led to Sammy Guevara attacking Jack Perry for some reason. I thought that was odd, considering they're all out there because they're mad at MJF and want that belt. Uh, but that ends up leading to MJF taking a pretty damn hell of a bump off the apron onto a table with a cake in it. Not particularly a big fan of the, uh, the cake gimmick right now, you know, in 2023, but at the same time, it was a hell of a bump. So, um, I will give him that much credit. Um, it was impressive. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I honestly thought this was a pretty good segment. I will, I'm not going to say it was great by any stretch, uh, but I did like it. Uh, I saw some people, you know, bring up concerns about it being similar to, uh, 
stuff WWE does. But frankly, um, if you're going to rule out everything WWE's ever done for AEW, then that's not going to leave a lot left in the playbook. So I think given the fact that this is the, to my recollection, the first ever champions in the ring and a bunch of challengers come out setting up a multi-man match down the road kind of a story. Um, and as long as we don't get another one for a few years at a minimum, I think this was absolutely just fine. Like a good little segment, I thought, in general. You can definitely have some nitpicks on it, but I think overall it was an enjoyable segment, and I think that's what really matters going forward. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Dot com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint 
recognition, and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints, and in one second, it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months, and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking, a remote control with a 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door Moving ahead, we had the tag match, trios match, really, between uh, the Blackpool Combat Club of Jonathan Moxley, Claudio Castanoli, and Wheeler for Wheel Yuta. Up against Evil Uno, Adam Page, and the returning Stu Grayson. And I gotta tell you, I was really happy to see Stu Grayson back. He's a great in-ring talent, and uh, it's really just terribly underused and you know he's going to be um i don't think he in AEW he'd ever be bigger than a mid carter but i do think he would fit in well in that kind of mid card worker uh role that you see occasionally with like matt Sydal when he was affiliated with dante martin when he was solo and ar fox now with uh top flight and that kind of guy and I think Stu's good enough that he should stick around. So if they can get a deal with him going and have him back and like feature him semi-regularly on uh, Dynamite or Rampage uh, just to put on as good of matches as he can, I don't think anyone would be disappointed at all. Because that guy can go. And he and Uno have a, a very good tag team, and I think we're far enough away from uh, just the dreadful uh, opening of the Dark Order gimmick, um, where it was just those two primarily that we can get back to this tag team being a thing, and they can be, uh, if not a player in the tag team division, at least a, uh, a regular, you know, uh, mid-card presence, I guess would be the way to put it. But I liked this match. I thought this was really good. My second favorite ma match on the show, um, and easily the best match I've had the pleasure to talk about on this show so far. Um, there was a Stu hot tag early, um, where you got to run wild a little bit. And then there was a Blackpool Combat Club spike pile driver on him on the floor, which just looked killer. Then there was a, that finally came out a commercial hot tag to Hangman. And he got to do a big, uh, big hot house of fire se sequence, um, And uh, there was a cool spot. Uh, the, the closing stretch on this was excellent in particular. Um, Yuta, of course, it was set up by uh, Wheeler Yuta taking out Adam Page with the ring bell. So it went down to three on two with uh, the Super Smash Brothers being left alone with uh, the BCC. But we got a fantastic uh, Baby Faces and Peril comeback series. Uh, Evil Uno hit a awesome paradigm shift on John Moxley. Uh, then they did, I don't know what to call it, but the one where Uno and Stu, like, jump past each other for, like, a combo cannonball senton thing or something like that. 
And then they did hit the fatality, I think, on Mox, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Yuta barely makes the save, uh, which allowed Claudio to get a uh, pop-up European, or I guess they're now pushing it as the Swiss uppercut on Stu, and then Mox gets the rear naked choke, and I think it was a stoppage and not a tap out. It was a little confusing, honestly, at the time. I thought this was a really great trios match, four and a quarter stars from me, uh, well into the notebook area. Um, after the match, uh, Mox does not let go, and he just switched into the bulldog choke. Uno makes the save and breaks it up, but gets beat down for his trouble. And this leads to Alex uh, Reynolds and John Silver running out to make the save, and uh, the BCC just bail. Uh, I thought this was just really good stuff. Fantastic stuff. Got a Juice Robinson pre-tape where he said very little of note. Uh, just kind of a 60-second promo. It was fine. Next, we had Jade Cargill against her mystery Canadian opponent, which was Nicole Matthews. And he um, was about as big as Jade. Uh, I remember Nicole's uh, big run in Shimmer, which was, goodness gracious, was that eight years ago now? Um, and she was pretty good at that point in time. I honestly have not watched much much of her stuff since then. Um, and th But this is just a complete one-sided squash, so I don't think you can really make any kind of judgment on Nicole at all in this. Um... Basically, she took a pump kick, but Jay didn't exactly hit it right, I don't think. I think that was the problem, where she got her kind of in the uh, the chest rather than the face. And then the jaded for three, and that was the match. Renee Paquette gets in the ring to interview her, but Jade spins around and goes, You're Canadian, aren't you? And starts bullying her, which was a cool thing. And then it stopped being cool when Taya Valkyrie comes out. And I'll be honest... It's not exactly like a, I'm a connoisseur of Taya Valkyrie's uh, career. I haven't exactly gone out of my way to watch a bunch of her stuff, but what I have seen has always peaked at fine. Um, so she comes out, faces off uh, Jade. Jade breaks away. Layla Gray goes for a cheap shot, and then Taya Valkyrie gets her own version of Jaded on Layla Gray to set up the intrigue. Ooh. Um, the match from Taya Valkyrie I remember the most is her match with her husband John Morrison at WrestleMania week last year, which was basically, what if domestic violence was funny? Uh, they had a match about doing the dishes, and it went probably 20 minutes, maybe, and felt like it lasted 18 years. I think that match had driver's permit by the time it was over. It was not a good time, and if it wasn't, it was probably the third worst match of WrestleMania week, and one of the worst matches I saw all of last year. Um, I'd only put it ahead of, um, there was an awful Shaza McKenzie-Billy Starks match, and also just the terrible Vince McMahon-Pat McAfee thing. And I know that some people defended that as a way to set up Steve Austin coming out and giving Vince one more god-awful stunner. Yeah, no thanks, man. Just did not need any of that. But that match, the, the Morrison-Taya one was pretty rough, too. Then there's a Starks backstage promo with Tony Schiavone. And it's, once again, just a... Uh, you know, this wasn't... The greatest thing you ever saw from Starks. It was a fine promo, good babyface uh, stuff, but you know, it's a setup. It's far from like a high point of the feud. Uh, next up, let's see, there was a promo for Shazam with uh, clips of Orange Cassidy and Chef Cherry. Because that's what I think of when I think of promoting the Shazam movie. It's good old Double J. Oh my goodness, what a time to be alive. Just a really all-time weird thing. But this was, um... I don't know, just kind of funny. And then the shittiest thing on the show happened. Which was the QTV thing. It's, uh... 
And we find out QTV is a parody of TMZ, which is about 10 years old at this point. Like, the parodies themselves, not even TMZ. Like, it feels 10 years past due date. And we got some comedy. Uh, I didn't laugh any. Okay, I'm lying. There was one or two good lines in here. But overall, like, this just felt hokey as hell. And for people that have the concerns about, um, about, uh, AEW doing stuff that's too WWE and hurting the show, this is an example. The opening segment was not. This stunk in general. Again, there were like two lines I kind of laughed at, but I hope to God to never see another QTV segment again. Um, if it's just QT or QT, yeah, uh, cutting a promo with Hobbs like it was on Rampage, I'm on board. I think QT is a good promo and he can be a good mouthpiece. I can get a uh, powerhouse Hobbs over, I think. But this 100% failed in entertaining in general. And, like, when I say that there are a couple good lines, like, let's be clear, they weren't even good enough for me to write down. So, you know, temper your expectations if you haven't seen this. And secondly, my bigger concern with it is Powerhouse Hobbs is secondary in this segment, and it's all about QT Marshall. And, you know, again, I enjoy QT and his work quite a bit, but the guy should not be the focus of this stuff. This should be all about getting Powerhouse Hobbs over. Um, and this segment was not about getting Powerhouse Hobbs over. It was about, uh, QT Flex and his promo skills, question mark. So, yeah. Uh, hated this. Did not like it at all. Uh, next up was the Jeff Jarrett Orange Cassidy match, and, uh, I'm not gonna say this was bad, but it wasn't good. It was probably two and a half stars, just like real middle-of-the-road stuff. Um, probably the best part was early on when it was just a bunch of uh, antics. Uh, first of all, we got Orange Cassidy lazily fist-bumping the Shockmaster on his way down to the ring, which got Tony Schiavone to freak out. And I swear to God, within like the first minute of the match, uh, Jeff Jarrett did three separate struts, which was probably the highlight. Um, but this was built around a lot around, uh, Orange Cassidy's knee. And then after the commercial, the levy broke and it was just nothing but interference spots all the way down. Uh, you had Sotnam get involved, uh, with actually a, to be quite honest, a pretty cool spot where he just deadlifted Orange Cassidy up and tossed him into the ring. Um, and then Jeff Jarrett, as a total heel, teased a figure four, but thought, no, I'm a very smart man, and I'm in Canada. Let's do the sharpshooter. And, uh, you know, that got the crowd against him some. And then Orange Gatsby reversed to his own, which, uh, that was probably the highlight. After this, uh, man, there was just, uh, there was more interference than there was. We got the referees getting involved, and I like the refs in AEW, and I almost always like the refs when they're doing, uh, shtick in AEW, especially with Jarrett, but I think at this point they had gone past the point of too much shtick. So, uh, Jarrett pushed Orange Cassidy into Bryce, knocking out Bryce, which brought Aubrey out, and Jarrett... Argued with Aubrey, T's hitting her, which, uh, boy, let's not get that close again. Um, Orange Cassidy uh, picked up the guitar, and Satnam Singh just grabs it from him, and Orange Cassidy just very lazily sold his leg, which, again, was a good bit in a match that was going too long. So Singh and Dutt get ejected, but guess who comes out? It's Jay Lethal with no sling. He came out with a sling. But now he doesn't have a sling. And, uh... Hits Orange Cassidy with the Golden Globe, but only for two. Trent comes out, gets rid of Lethal, and then that leads pretty much right away to an Orange Punch for the pin. And again, this is just two and a half stars of just... Aggressive acceptability. I, uh... 
I, I've enjoyed the Jarrett Lethal tag team, but I think this left Jarrett out to dry. I think he just got overexposed in this match. And I don't think it worked because of that very reason. There was a pre-tape rap from the Acclaim that was absolutely fine. Not memorable at all. Then the Outcast came out. They cut a little promo, which was pretty good. Although I will say, um, you know, again, hearkening back to Joe Lanza's review of uh, Dynamite that he did behind the paywall, he talked about go-away heat and how no one actually has go-away heat, really, except for, like, very rare cases. Even Xbox didn't have Xbox heat. But I'll tell you, Soraya has go-away heat with my wife. Because she just spontaneously started complaining about how, and this was not even close to watching a show, but my wife just went off about how Soraya always says it's her house. And she's sick and tired of hearing that line. And then Soraya gets the microphone, and what's the first thing she does as part of this promo? This is my house, and I swear my wife's eyes just rolled out of her head. We still have them in a jar. It's It's terrible. It's caused physical harm to my wife and her eyeballs. Uh, but yeah, she just hates her. Uh, but I, I thought this was actually a pretty good heel segment. It wasn't spectacular, but I thought in general the promos were good. Soraya calling the fans twats. Sure was a thing. Uh, and then Hater and Baker have heard enough and they come out in their Canadian tuxedos. And then it's a very... Why is the babyface stupid moment? They, they take control, they have the outcast down, and then they pose over him. And then immediately the outcast fight back and start beating him up. Just made him look like idiots for a second there. And then, going forward, uh, well, after that, uh, Riho, Willow, and Sky Blue come out to make the save. Riho has a pipe to help even the odds. Outcast just hit the bricks. At this point, I had a note uh, about Taz, and I do think there's been kind of a sea change with Taz as a a commentator, and I want to be clear that I I have loved the work Taz has done in AEW in general. Um, Dark is just a podcast with wrestling over it, uh, and he and Excalibur are really enjoyable together. Um, And I also uh, enjoy Taz on Dynamite and Rampage. I think he does, well, Dynamite, obviously. Uh, I think he does a good job there. I think he does a great job on the pay-per-views. I think he and Excalibur have terrific chemistry. Uh, But there's been a change over the past couple months where Taz has gone from just being like a color commentator to working really as a heel, making excuses for the wrestling heels. And um, to be completely honest... uh, I, I I don't like this. It feels... The heel collar commentator thing to me feels dead. Like, it just feels like it should have been... It's it's from the 80s, and it feels well worn out at this point. Maybe if, if you have a spectacular performer in that role, you would do it. But it's just... This is something WWE ruined, I think, for such a long time. Uh, by having... Feeling the need... Every single form of the, the commentary table for decades now to have a heel. And the heel just has to yell all the time. We had heel Michael Cole. We've had heel Way Barrett. We had heel uh, Corey Graves. We had heel JBL. We had, uh, I mean, there's more that I can't even think of. It's just the same old shit, but they have to do it in every single... Uh, version of an announcing team they have. Someone's got to be the heel that just yells at the other announcers, to call, calls them dumb, and then uh, just puts over the heels as just awesome all the time. And Taz isn't like WWE pilled in this way. He's not like doing the, the stereotypical Vince McMahon is in my ear yelling at me to yell more kind of gimmick. But I gotta tell you that this is, uh, I think he's hitting it a little too hard. Um, it was one thing when he started out just with uh, MJF and kind of making excuses for him with the understanding that they're both from Long Island and they have some kind of a connection that way. All right, fine. I still don't think it was particularly great, but it was, I, I got it. You know, it made sense. But now we have them making excuses for practically every other heel up and down the card. And it's a bit much. 
I, I preferred it when we did not have Taz as the token heel announcer, when we had Taz just being Taz, the grumpy, goofy guy on the commentary table. I would rather Taz be uniquely Taz, which is what he was for a while, than uh, Taz doing the shtick we've seen all this time before, because we don't need it to get over these heels. The Outcasts are doing just fine as heels right now. MJF is doing just fine as a heel right now. I, as the viewer, do not need to watch the Outcasts, you know, beat up a bunch of people and spray paint them, and then have Taz come on to tell me to, like, really play up, oh, man, they're being baddies. I get it. I can see it. I, I understand the wrestlings. I don't need Taz telling me that. I can just look at the, what, they've been, what they've done, what the segment was, and go, ah, yes, they are heels. This is what they're doing. So I just hope that they kind of ease up on that. And, uh, you know, we don't have to deal with that anymore. But I don't think that I'm going to win that one, guys. I think it's just going to go on and on. And i just hoping that they're taking the foot off the gas with it soon. Because I want to like Taz. I want to enjoy Taz's commentary. And I'm enjoying it less now. And that's not what I want to be able to say. I wish that wasn't the case. Next up is a 2.0 pre-tape uh, about the acclaimed rap. And this was where AEW had its seemingly weekly audio drop. Where you missed like the first 10 seconds of the promo from uh, uh, Menard and Parker. Uh, otherwise, this was this was fine. Uh, we got teased for Rampage. Uh, Phoenix versus Hobbs uh, for the uh, TNT Championship, which should be a good first defense by Powerhouse. We have the in-ring debut of Taya Valkyrie. And then we have uh, Menard and Parker against the Bollywood Boys. And also remember that, at least on uh, this, you know, at least live on the East Coast, it'll be at 11.30 p.m. because of the NCAA tournament. Um, which I am not watching right now. I wish I was. And then on Dynamite, the only thing that has been announced is... Uh, Hook versus Stokely in their no DQ match. Uh, I'm just wondering if he's going to be a dumb baby face and, um, you know, end up getting owned by the the firm running in and beating him up because there's no DQ and he's the lone, lone hook. Hopefully they don't do that. Hopefully they don't make him look like an idiot. Because uh, Hook is just... Too good to be made to look like an idiot. And then we had the main event. Which was uh, the Elite and the Jericho Appreciation Society. Of uh, Guevara, Garcia, and Jericho challenging House of Black for the trio's championships. And uh, this was moves, moves, moves. Um, of course there was some shtick early on. First of all, there, there was a big pop for uh, Jericho and then a huge pop for Omega. This was Omega's first real big arena show in Winnipeg. So um, I can only imagine how special that moment was for him. But the crowd uh, went wild for both of them, especially Omega. Um, eventually, you know, early on they teased Brody King being a bully and chopping uh, Guevara and Garcia to death. And then Jericho eventually tags in. But then Kenny Omega blind tags in off Brody King and they get the, the they tease the face off and the crowd goes wild with a huge reaction and then the House of Black come in and lay both of them out and we got a commercial break uh, and then after this it was I mean look I don't know what you expected from a, a three way three man tag or trios tag in AEW involving the Elite and House of Black and the Jericho Appreciation Society uh, if you weren't expecting moves, I don't know what to tell you. Because you got moves, buddy. And um, this was not like the perfect example of this kind of match. But I like this match a lot. I went four and a half stars on it, which is the high for the week in AEW for me. Uh, I thought it was a great match. Just an absolute blast. Uh, I liked watching these tags work or teams work together. And I want to see them work together some more. And then, uh, so we got, uh, just all kinds of wild stuff. Um, 
Buddy Matthews caught a Nick Jackson and Simon Moonsault and then just lawn darted them into a knee for Malachi Black. Um, there was a everyone hits a big move sequence after a Jericho Omega hockey fight gimmick. Um, fantastic sell of a code breaker by Kenny Omega for two. Um, Omega and Jericho teamed up to superplex Brody King, which was awesome. And during this match, we cut backstage to see uh, the Blackpool Combat Club and Paige Reynolds and Silver brawling as a little tease for what was to come. But, you know, uh, back in the ring, there was a Meltzer driver that was countered by a codebreaker, which was awesome. Um, then there was a cool sequence that set up Jericho against the House of Black alone. Jericho took a Dante's Inferno, which I did not think would happen, but it was that was a big bump for him. Um, Omega made the save off that. Eventually, uh, Jericho ate a black mass and Dante's Inferno on Daniel Garcia for the pinfall. Uh, I liked this a lot. House of Black retained the titles. I went four and a half stars on this. I love this match. Um, so Jake Hager comes down the uh, ramp and starts brawling with House of Black. And that kind of empties the ring, leaving uh, a brawl of Adam Page and... Um, Reynolds and Silver coming out through the curtain with the Blackpool Combat Club. And uh, Blackpool take out Reynolds and Silver on the top of the ramp and they kind of corner Page in the ring and Page is ready to fight a one on three. And then all of a sudden, the Elite get in the ring behind Adam Page and the Blackpool Combat Club backs down and Page is kind of confused because he hasn't turned around. And then at the very last second of the show, he turns around and sees the Elite. Um, Excalibur is screaming about what a moment, kind of before the moment happens, because they're going off the air. Uh, but, you know, I like this post-match, and I love this match. I thought this was a great match, really enjoyable. Um, highlight of the week, I think. Um, in general, I like this show of Dynamite, but I did not love it. Because there was just a couple, too many... Well, really, the QTV thing alone was the worst thing on the show. And then, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really enjoy the Jade stuff either. And then there was a bunch of other stuff that was just fine. But they were, the highlights, the high water marks were great. Uh, that opening trios and then the main event trios. Those two matches are 100% worth your time. Uh, if you have time and you haven't seen it yet, I would recommend the opening segment. It's not without its flaws, but it's enjoyable. And then. As far as anything else on this show, um, I can't really push anything else as a must-see. Uh, so overall, yeah, I didn't even think to make a overall rating on this show. Uh, let's uh, let's slap a seven on this bad boy. I think that's a fair rating between the the high water marks of the trios matches and the low water marks of a way too long Orange Jarrett match, an awful QTV segment, which I hope is. D-E-D -D dead. And that's the show for you. Uh, we already covered what matches have already been announced. Um, again, remember Rampage is at, I believe, 11.30 p.m. Eastern. What with the um, men's NCAA tournament uh, hitting the opening round. The proper opening round, not the first four. Forget that stuff. That doesn't count as the first round. And uh, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, we're going to see if I can figure out how to slap a song on the front of this bad boy and get it uploaded. And uh, other than that, we'll... Uh, that's it. That's all I've got for this week's show. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Tyler should be back next week, I do believe. He is... Uh, hope he's enjoying his uh, stay in Arizona. And if you want to hunt down uh, one of the co-hosts of this fine program, you know where to go, which is just the whole state of Arizona. Please don't bother him, seriously. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, overall, this was perfectly fine. I mean, perfectly fine kind of when it plays it. I thought it was a good, a pretty good dynamite and a, a solid rampage. I'll put it like that. Um, this was not one of the highest level shows on either account but good stuff in general and that's it i i'm finally going to finish this show i think this is the third time i've tried to end it 
This is why I need Tyler around so he can make sure I don't just don't sound like a blubbering idiot as I try to talk about the graps. Anyways, have a good week, everyone. See you next week. Take care. I just realized this is... I am very bad at this job. I just realized that uh, I didn't do the plugs. I'm going to do the plugs real quick. Email us, hungipod, H-U-N-G-E-E, at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, which I somewhat check, at goodbadhungy. We also have our own channel on the Voices Wrestling Discord server. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you could subscribe to our individual feed rather than the Voices of Wrestling Master feed. That would be awesome. That would help us out and uh, show that we are not, uh, you know, that we have value. Okay, that's it. Bye. I'm very good at this job. Bye. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.